Hello, this is John Scalzi, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. I didn't realize that I had to follow Furman. In fact, I'm pretty sure I asked specifically not to follow Furman. Um, but I'm here to tell you a story. <clears throat> I have to preface the story I'm about to tell you with the following update. We're totally cool now. <laughs> I cannot stress that part of what I'm about to tell you enough. We're totally cool. But it's still a very funny story. Made funnier by musical accompaniment from Paul and Storm. This is an entirely true story. It originally appeared in my book, Dancing Barefoot. Then it appeared in my book, Just a Geek. Now it appears for you on the stage at Wootstock 3.0. It is entitled, William fucking Shatner. <laughs> Waiting for Paul is my Will Wheaton cover band. Waiting for Paul is my Wings cover band. Guess we have to have a cover band off then. <laughs> Which is my Hootie and the Blowfish cover band. Ah! Storm! Man! <laughs> he just always sneaks in behind the defense and bam, it's in the back of the net. Which is my George Michael cover band. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why I even come to play the game. <laughs> now I know how every goalie who faced Gretzky ever in his life felt. This story is called William fucking Shatner. I first met William Shatner on the set of Star Trek V in 1988. I was 16. I know it was a long fucking time ago, okay? I turned 38 in just a few days. Thanks a lot for reminding me, jerks. And the theater doesn't even have real beer for me to drink, so I don't feel the pain, all right? Also, anybody who sneaks a stone, arrogant bastard ale into me before the show is over gets a plus one and an upvote from me. And those are as good as cash, so. I first met William Shatner on the set of Star Trek V in 1988. I was 16. I had been working on Next Generation for two years at the time. We were enjoying some success with our show, and I was very proud of the work that I was doing. Did I mention that I worked on Star Trek? That's kind of an important part of this story. I'm sorry, I left that out. When I found out that the, oh, also I'm a huge Star Trek fan and have been my entire life, and uh, LeVar Burton and I were the only like sort of out-of-the-closet fans of Star Trek who worked on Next Generation. That's also an important part of the story. See what happens when you make me follow firm? My whole brain goes screwy. <laughs> and, I, and I apparently talk like Jim J. Bullock on Hollywood Squares. <laughs> <laughs> when I found out that the original series cast would be working next door to us for two whole months, I was beside myself. 
Gene Roddenberry was still heavily involved with the production of Star Trek back then, and he and I were very good friends. When I'd pass by his door, it was not uncommon for him to throw an executive out of his office and invite me in to sit down and have a visit. He knew that I was a fan of the original series, and he knew that I was more than a little intimidated by the original series actors. He offered several times to make an introduction, but I always declined. If I was going to meet these legends of science fiction, I was going to do it on my own. For weeks, I tried to get up the nerve to introduce myself. When I would walk from the stage to my dressing room or to my schoolroom, I would do it very slowly, sort of wistfully looking at their stage door, hoping to catch a glimpse of Mr. Spock or Dr. McCoy, or maybe even the legendary Captain Kirk. The few times they did appear, though, I could never muster the courage to approach them. This went on for about six weeks. Each night I asked the stars up above, why must I be a teenager in love? Word got around our set that I was too chicken to introduce myself to the original series actors. It became something of a joke, and the crew began to give me some good-natured ribbing about my reluctance. Next Generation was immensely popular at the time, and I was still riding high on the success of Stand By Me. They couldn't understand why I was so intimidated by these actors. My face was splashed across the cover of every teen magazine that existed at the time. Well, they were the original Star Trek actors, and I was a nerd. Do the math, guys. <laughs> One afternoon, while I was sitting around outside Stage 9, talking with Mandy, my costumer, they opened the huge stage door across the way, and I could see right into the set of Star Trek V. It was a large area, sort of like a cargo bay, filled with extras and equipment. It was quite different from our set, but it was unmistakably the Enterprise. Standing in the middle of it all was William Shatner. <laughs> He held a script open, sort of like it was a holy text. The way he was gesturing with his hands, I could tell that he was setting up a shot and discussing it with the crew. I waited for that familiar rush of nerves, but it never came. Seeing him as a director and not as Captain Kirk, I know as a director we can all laugh at that. <laughs> Seeing him as a director and not as Captain Kirk put me at ease. I knew that this was my moment. If I didn't walk over and introduce myself right then, it would never happen. I was wearing the gray acting ensign spacesuit, <clears throat> unzipped with the sleeves tied around my waist. <clears throat> I hated that fucking costume so much. I wanted to buy it in the auction so I could set it on fire myself. <laughs> the costume was really uncomfortable, and I'd take the top half off whenever I got the chance. Because that was a jumpsuit, I would tie the sleeves around my waist, and I would wear a lightweight fleece jacket zipped up to cover the embarrassing muscle suit the producers made me wear underneath it. Haha. Uh -huh. We all had to wear those muscle suits. 
okay? All of us, even Michael Dorn. <laughs> but I think I was the most traumatized by it. I think Frakes has actually had some kind of magnets in the shoulders that would pull him toward the camera when he walked through doors. <laughs> I'm a really small person uh, with no muscles at all. It's just, <laughs> I'm a nerd. <clears throat> and having to wear all of that thick padding did little to improve my fragile teenage self-esteem. I turned to Mandy, and I took off my fleece. I asked her to zip up my spacesuit and fasten the collar in the back. Oh, Mandy. You came and you zipped up my spacesuit. If I was going to go and meet William Shatner, I was going to do it looking Starfleet regulation. <clears throat> she made sure that my costume looked good enough for camera, straightened my communicator, and wished me good luck. I got a high five from one of the Teamsters as I confidently walked across the street and into the cargo bay of the Enterprise 1701A. It took about eight steps for my confidence to evaporate. <clears throat> Surrounded by extras in Starfleet uniforms, standing next to a shuttlecraft, William Shatner, William Shatner, <clears throat> the director, was immediately transformed into Captain Kirk, the intergalactic legend. I was transformed from Will Wheaton, fellow actor and film industry professional, into Will Wheaton, the drooling fanboy and Star Trek geek. <clears throat> I looked around. Well, I guess I blended in well, because nobody had noticed me. I turned to make my escape, and I bumped into a still photographer who had worked on Next Generation in our first season. Hey, Will, what are you doing here? He asked. I swallowed and looked at the stage door. Um. Uh, well, I just, um. I just came over uh, to look around. And, I, and now I'm leaving. <laughs> I began to slowly move back toward the familiar safety of my own spaceship. <clears throat> well, hey, look, Will, as long as you're here, you should totally come meet Mr. Shatner. Mr. Shatner? Mr. Shatner? Who's Mr. Shatner? The only person here is Captain Kirk and some Starfleet officers. He turned to Captain Kirk and he said, Hey, Bill, come here a second. My heart began to beat rapidly as he turned toward us. Captain Kirk looked right at me. I froze. He gave his book to somebody and he began to walk in our direction. I involuntarily straightened my back and sucked in my stomach. 
My muscle suit felt tight and awkward around my arms and my chest. Within seconds, he was standing next to us. He was about my height. He was a little heavier than he looked on television. <clears throat> Captain Kirk said, what can I do for you? Did you ever know that you're my hero? Well, Bill, this is Will Wheaton. He's part of the cast of The Next Generation, and he would like to meet you. I could fly higher than an eagle Cause you are the wind beneath my wings. Captain Kirk looked at me for a really long time. So, you're the kid on that show? My mouth and my throat were dry and my palms were sweating. My heart pounded in my ears as I answered. Um, yes, sir. My name is Will. <clears throat> my name's Will. He continued to look at me. I carefully wiped my hand on the hip of my spacesuit. It's really nice to meet you. <laughs> he didn't take my hand. <laughs> what is that, your spacesuit? Um, uh, oh, this? Um, yeah. Uh, it's not as cool as yours, but it's what they make me wear, so I wear it because they tell me that I have to wear it, so it's what I put on when I come to work. <clears throat> I put my hand down, and I, I really wanted to leave. I felt a little lightheaded. Why wouldn't Captain Kirk shake my hand? And why didn't he like my spacesuit? Could he tell that I was wearing fake muscles? Maybe he didn't like the color, it was gray, it was ugly. I called it the Iron Maiden when no one was listening. I became hyper aware of all the spandex clinging to my body. I longed for the comfort of my fleece jacket. Well, oh my God, he asked me a question and I missed it. Excuse me? I said, what is it you do over there? Oh, well, um, I am an acting ensign, and sometimes I pilot the Starship Enterprise with 701D. Maybe he would be impressed that I'd already logged several hours at the helm of the Enterprise, and I wasn't even 16 <laughs> yet. <clears throat> you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, I would never let a kid come onto my bridge. He turned, her, <clears throat> he turned around and walked away. But I'm a creep. I'm a widow. 
What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Captain James Tiberius Kirk of the Enterprise 1701 and 1701A, the only person in Starfleet to ever defeat the Kobayashi Maru. The man behind the Corbomite maneuver. The man who took the Enterprise to the Genesis planet to return Spock's Katra. The man who I had admired since I was eight years old before I even knew how cool it was that he fucked every green chick in the universe. <laughs> was immediately transformed into William fucking Shatner. Did you ever know that you're an asshole? I bit my lip and turned to say goodbye to the still photographer who had made the introduction, but he had vanished as well. I walked back to my own stage with my head down, avoiding eye contact the entire way. When I got to the entrance, I found Mandy and I asked her to unzip my costume so I could put my fleece back on. As she unzipped the back, she said, did you get to meet William Shatner? Uh-huh. What's wrong? She handed me my fleece jacket, concern in her eyes. Well, um, I didn't want to say it out loud. Because if I said it out loud, then it would be real. Um, when, uh, when I met him, he was a dick to me. <laughs> oh, Mandy, turns out that Bill Shatner's a dickhead. <laughs> her eyes widened and she gasped, what? Why? What happened? I fought back tears and I recounted the now infamous introduction. What an ass clown, she said. Oh, oh, well, I'm so sorry. I nodded my head and she gave me a hug. I took a deep breath, shrugged my shoulders and walked back to my trailer where I closed the door, sat down and cried. I'd spent weeks getting up the courage to meet him, and in less than five minutes, he had insulted and humiliated me. He had reduced me from peer to peon. I'd worn my stupid costume that I hated, thinking it would matter to him, and he'd made fun of it. Fifteen minutes later, an assistant director knocked on my door and told me that they were ready for me on the set. I stood up, wiped my face off, and told him that I'd need to make a quick stop at the makeup trailer on my way. He radioed this information to the first AD and told me to hurry. I walked to the makeup trailer, taking great pains to look at the ground, the walls, the sky, anything that would keep my head turned away from the Star Trek V stage. I sat in the chair and my makeup artist, Jana, began to touch me up. I heard about what Shatner did to you, she said. <laughs> Fuck that guy, he's a jerk. <laughs> I sighed. I didn't want him to be a jerk. I, I guess so. I said as noncommittally as I could. She put down her makeup sponge and turned the chair away from the mirror so I was facing her. She looked me in the eye and said, don't let him upset you, Will. He's not worth it. Okay, I lied. I knew I was going to be upset about this for a long time, write about it in two books, and then perform it on stage at <laughs> Woodstock in San Diego. <clears throat> Because I'm from the fucking future, bitches. <laughs> okay, she said. I walked into the stage and took my seat on the bridge of the Enterprise next to Brent Spiner. 
I heard about Shatner. <laughs> what, was this on the news? <laughs> yeah, I said. You know he wears a toupee, right? I giggled. No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, he's balder than old Baldy up there. I guess I have to update this now and call him Sir Old Baldy. <laughs> he tossed a gold thumb over his shoulder at Patrick. I giggled some more as the stored-up adrenaline coursed through my veins. <laughs> wow, <laughs> he's really bald. <clears throat> yep, <clears throat> Brent put his hands up on his console. The first AD said, this will be picture. We all focused. Picture is up, very quiet please, he shouted. Roll camera. 25 Apple take one, the sound mixer said. Sound has speed. The camera assistant clapped the slate. Action, said the director. Patrick entered from his ready room and walked to the captain's chair. Mr. Crusher, take us out of orbit and lay on a course for the Ramata system, warp six. Aye, sir. My fingers danced across the con. Course laid in, sir. Make it so, Mr. Crusher. That's what it sounded like every time we went to warp speed on Star Trek. Those days on the bridge took forever. <laughs> Cut, great, new deal, the director said. Ron, set, we're moving to the observation lounge. Actors, you have 10 minutes. On my way back to my trailer, the DGA trainee stopped me. Uh, Gene Roddenberry would like you to call his office, Will. <laughs> what? I changed direction and walked to the stage phone. My heart began to beat hard again. Had Gene heard? <laughs> William fucking Shatner had known Gene for over 20 years. If Gene knew that I'd upset William fucking Shatner, maybe Gene would be upset with me too. I passed the craft service table set up behind the star field that hung next to the 10 forward set. Michael Dorn and Jonathan Frakes were pouring cups of coffee. To hell with him, W, Frank said. <laughs> to this day, I love it when Frakes calls me W. <laughs> Dell with who, Michael Dorn said. Shatner took a shit all over the teen idol. <laughs> Beneath his latex Klingon forehead, Michael rolled his eyes. You want me to kick his ass, Will? <laughs> no, no, thank you, though. Um, I think I got this. I've got your back, man. I know. I dialed Gene's office and told his secretary that I was returning Gene's call. He's expecting you, just a second. There were two clicks, and Gene's soft, friendly voice was in my ear. Hi, Will, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, I'm fine. Now, I understand you had some words with Bill Shatner today. <laughs> the world slowed to bullet time. 
Like, I could see individual droplets of coffee dropping down into Frakes' little paper cup. <laughs> One Starfield mirror slowly glinting back and forth, dust motes suspended in the middle of it as I held my breath and waited to answer. Yeah. <laughs> Will, Bill Shatner is an ass. Don't you worry a thing about him, okay? I am very proud to have you on my show. Don't you ever forget that. Did she just say William fucking Shatner was an ass? I'm a rocket man. And... Then he said he was proud of me? Rock it, man. Gosh, Gene, um, thanks. Under the circumstances, that was the best I could do. Come by my office soon, okay? Okay. I'll see you then. He hung up. I began to feel a little better. Although a childhood hero had kicked me in the nuts. A bunch of people who I cared about and respected had all made efforts to put it into perspective. I felt loved. I felt protected. The next day when I got to work, there was an envelope on my dressing room table. It was addressed to Master Will Wheaton. It originated in the office of William Shatner. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I dropped my backpack and tore it open. Inside, there was a single 3x8 note card. The Paramount Pictures logo was stamped into the top in blue, and William Shatner was stamped into the bottom in gold. There was a message typed on the card. It said, Dear Will, you are a fine young actor, and I would be honored to have you on my bridge any day. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Sincerely yours, Bill. He'd signed it in ink. My mouth hung open and my hands trembled. I held it up to the light to make sure it was real. The phone rang. Hello? Hi, Will, it's Gene. I recognized his voice immediately. Good morning, Gene. I spoke with Bill Shatner yesterday. <laughs> and he should be dropping off a note for you sometime today. <laughs> it's already here, I said. I read it to him. Good. You are a fine young actor, he said. I'll see you later. I couldn't believe it. Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, the great bird of the galaxy had called William fucking Shatner, Captain James T. Kirk and director of Star Trek V, and asked him to apologize to me, the 16-year-old acting ensign and drooling fanboy. Of all the wonderful gifts Gene gave me over the years, that is one of the most fondly remembered. Because I'm pretty sure that without Gene's intervention, that note never would have been written.
Thank you very much. Enjoy intermission. There's a whole lot of show to happen after.